We are in the change room once again, courtesy of Bright Rock, and it's just just over one week to go until the Rugby World Cup in Japan. Very exciting times for all rugby fans around the world. And today I'm joined again by Johan Katsia, writer for uh, Supersport.com, as well as Rugby Scribe. Uh, have you guys seen his Twitter bio? He says, when they said life began at 40, I didn't know they meant from scratch. Why are you starting from scratch? No, it's just something that, that had happened that year personally. I was turning 40 and I literally found myself kind of like starting out fresh. I had a, what, I had a two-year-old at the time. Mm. Yeah, so basically everything felt like it was starting. Well, you don't look a day over 35. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> don't worry, I feel it. <laughs> it's all the Red Bull. Copious amounts of Red Bull. That's what he drinks his day in touch. But it has been a rather heavy week for uh, South Africans and South African rugby in particular, with news coming through of uh, the death of Chester Williams, um, a 95 veteran and a, a great, great man on and off the field. Johan, when you heard the news, what did you, what did you think? Of course, obviously shocked. I think everybody was shocked. Um, Chester was in contact with a lot of us in that week. Um, he was going to uh, launch his new beer brand. And uh, so a lot of us spoke to him and, and then all of a sudden, and planning ahead with him, and then all of a sudden that news happened. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of in shock and what a great loss. Yeah, really b- big loss. And so many people also coming out on Twitter and social media talking about just how much he inspired them to even get into the sport. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I... I mean, if, I, if I'm to have a personal sort of um, opinion on, on, on Chester, I actually worked with them at the, at the SABC as a, as, a, as a pundit during one of the World Cups. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe I, I, you know, how much he knew, how informed he was about the game. It's one of those guys who could tell you at, at halftime what was going to happen next in the game, how the game was going to unfold. And so that's how I know him. But I mean, obviously, originally, I know him as having been a teenager who was rugby mad. And he was literally the first black guy I'd seen on a rugby pitch. And then, um, I mean, if you talk about the people that he inspired last week in trying to, you know, in trying to obviously put a story together. Um, I spoke to Conrad Junches, who's 10 years younger than Chester. And Conrad said, oh, no, we were very good friends. I was like, how is it possible? I mean, you're younger than me. How are you friends with Chester? And, you know, they met at the Lions and Chester basically looked after him at the Lions. You know, he had him under his wing, always making sure that Conrad got his mind right. Because Conrad was all talent and maybe a less application when he started out. Mm, but then, he needed a bit more discipline. Yeah, but then, yeah. but then, you know, Chester was probably almost completely the other way around. And so Chester imparted a lot of, you know, the, the work ethic into Conrad. And it's not just Conrad. Brian Abana, it's, you know, Brian Abana tells you about being at the final with his dad and being inspired by Chester. Mm. And there's a lot of other players, you know, who they inspired. I mean, I know there's always going to be conjecture when someone, you know, off the stature sort of passes on. But essentially, you know, you've got to look at what a person did and not what they didn't necessarily do. And what Chester did was inspire a lot of, you know, the guys we know now. Geez, some of them are retired already, you know, to play rugby. That, for me, is, you know, is, is gold. Yeah, I was too young in 95, but uh, <laughs> I worked with him um, 
on a, on a production at Supersport, I also uh, was in contact with him during his days at UWC as coach. And I thought what he was doing with the students was incredible and moving them from um, Varsity Shield into Varsity Cup as well and what that meant not only for the university but for those young men that he was mentoring. That seemed to be his his the kind of legacy he wanted to leave behind, bringing those, those young men in and making them realise that there is life beyond rugby and rugby can be the tool that they use uh, to step it up. Yes, <clears throat> that was for an entire generation and uh, and it starts off probably with Brayton Paul saying and carry on and carry on. It's, uh, yeah, you have to, if you look back, what, what, would this, what would we look like today if it wasn't for Chester and that massive, massive impact he made back in 95? It's, uh, he's just a real hero and we, we really mourn his loss. Yeah, we certainly do. Our condolences to the family, to friends, uh, to his colleagues and uh, his mentees at UWC as well as the entire rugby-loving fraternity around the world. The tributes have continued to pour in, including one from former Springbok flank, Gourney Kricher. My fondest memory of Chester Williams is how amazing he was when I came into the Springbok team, how humble he was, how welcoming he was. And uh, yeah, I think he's um, a role model for many, many and millions of South Africans. And um, hopefully we can follow that example and honor him in, honor him in that way. Well, it is Rugby World Cup time, just a little over a week until all eyes will be on Japan, the land of the rising sun. I think so much has been said about the, the World Cup, but the big, big game of the, the round robin will be South Africa, New Zealand and the build-up thereof. I hear the All Blacks are training with 14 men. Jerome Gosset said to take on the whistle. Why is that? Look, I mean, I had a look. I had a look at that story about how they sort of deliberately trained with with fourteen men. Um, I think it was part necessity because actually they didn't have a you know they 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 pulled uh, was it uh, Ryan Crotty off with fifteen minutes left, and they didn't have another replacement on the bench, so they decided to go. When you're going to win the game ninety two seven. Of course you can do that because there's no chance the opposition is going to make the last 15 minutes. They should have, so, should have pulled off another two, maybe uh, make it a game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so so essentially, I think I think it was part necessity, um, and and then maybe part planning. But you know how it is, you know, because it's a New Zealand sort of media writing it up. You know, it's it's typically you know it was added you know to the, to the myth of the All Blacks that uh, look at them. You know, they actually played with with 14 men. You, know, you want to talk about playing with 14 men? You know. <laughs> Playing with 14 men is tougher when, when you South Africa, you're playing against Japan and you have to do it for the last 10 minutes in that heat, in that humidity, and you scored two tries in that period. Look, I'm not going to say which team sort of wore it better, as it were, but essentially I'm just saying, ugh, look, it's, it's just smokes, smokes and mirrors right yeah, now because the World Cup is just around the corner. Mind games, lots yeah. and lots of mind games. There's always mind games around yeah, this picture as well. We look tougher than, we, you know, we're really tougher than we, we actually are. The simple truth is I'm not sure if there's anything any of the, of the Rugby World Cup sort of contestants or, you know, candidates, win, winner candidates haven't shown that, you know, you know exactly who's got what. No one's got something up their sleeve like mm. they, they're trying to claim they do. Mm. Okay, but where, in the build-up, who would you put in, you know, who had the best build-up going into the World Cup? For me, I think Russia Rasmus and these Springboks had this down meticulously planned. Um, I love the fact that they went to Japan early. 
that it's more than just acclimatizing to the, the warm and, and sweaty weather they've got there. Uh, they were there two weeks earlier. They had the whole public to embrace them. Everybody, the whole of Japan, wants to get into rugby now. They're going to obviously support Japan, but to have another team to support now, they, they know the South Africans everywhere they go. They are adored. They've got like three, 4,000 people at every single training session. Mm. Um, in, terms of, in terms of getting a home crowd for every single fixture you're going to play, we did well PR-wise. Yeah, yeah, you did, did it sensationally well. I mean, um, obviously, we were literally the first other team there. And like you say, they will have acclimatized because um, the conditioning coach insisted that they need at that time to make sure that there was no issues in terms of, you know, whether they, they've acclimatized to the jet lag or whatnot. And, and and over and above that, geez, I'm hearing some some scary stories out of camp about how Rassi basically makes the team train at the hottest time of the day, every day, and guys are just losing all kinds of weight. Yeah. Um, somebody said one of the tight forwards um, lost five kilos in just the, in in the, the game. Japan game. Probably France won a bit, but um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just needed to so, have a look at someone. And, uh, I'm and gonna, I'm gonna take up rugby again. Go to Japan. Play a season or two there. It's just it's better than going on a diet at the moment. Yeah, and, and, and then I think the most important aspect of the of the boxes build up. You know, the Springboks are traditionally a team that 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 really needs uh, momentum to to be able to you know to to get into their work. You know, in '95 they were coming off the back of you know the Sharks or the Natal and Transvaal having made you know the Super Ten finals. So that was kind of their their momentum. 2007, you know, the momentum there would have been the the, the Super Rugby final, and and this time around the. The momentum is is the rugby championship, the fact that they won it, and so I think I think that's the you know I think that's the most important thing for them is they've played five and they've won five, and so now they've gotten into a role and they're a very difficult team to stop once they do that. Yeah, I, 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 I similarly I agree. A Springbok team is great in one of two circumstances: either they're very very confident, and then they go on a roll. That's when you normally go on these unbeaten runs and go to number one in the world. Or before World Cup, be completely written off. Whereas in '95, um, okay, although the two teams were doing well in Super Ten, Super Ten wasn't a big thing yet. Remember that Springbok team couldn't beat Western Province at they got booed off Newlands. It wasn't a great place to start from. Backs against the wall, nobody knew them. They, they didn't have a great international reintroduction, and and yet from that base they could fight back. This year, I'm a little scared. It's going too well. You know what? What do you do if you if you have nothing to improve on? I don't know. It's just yeah. my opinion. What do you think? You almost want to stay conservative in 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 um in your prediction for the World Cup. I just feel that they've. There's just something about this team, in, an intangible something, you know, that, that it just transcends the performance, the physical performance of the team. I think they back one another. They know exactly where they stand in terms with the coach, with the management, in the structure. What am I doing? What do I bring to the team? I think they're really clear on that, which is why they click so well on the field. Yeah, look, I mean, they... You know, you look at the box, um, a guy like Grassi, I think what, what he's done is it's there's been a clarity of communication, a clarity of purpose, and and basically they've left no stone unturned. I honestly believe this is not the best evolution of the Springbok team um, because he's only had, what, about 15 months to work with the team. So they know in near what they could actually do as a be. team, mm. potentially. But right here, right now, they've got, what they need to be able to compete. And we have to be honest, um, you know, if you're South African, 
if if you're South African and you watched the the box lose to Italy not too not too long ago, and you somehow expecting the box to win the World Cup this year, then maybe you're a bit more optimistic than you know the rest of the free world. But you know, I think from a competitive you know, perspective, you have to say the box are there, thereabouts. And the basic reasons for that are they've got a massive pack. And then next up you've got a you've got a fly half that can kick his goals, get them over. Cool as and ice. you've got and you've got a rabid defense. And you you add those three things. Basically you've got a team that'll be a handful in a quarterfinal or a final. I mean I read an interesting stat the other day, which was in the last eight World Cup finals only 14 tries have been scored and five of them actually were from the last World Cup uh, only 14 tries have been scored and 43 penalties have been scored and so you know you have to I mean if you look at the Springboks World Cup winning history um, the magic number for them is 15 you know they scored 15 in, in, in 95 they scored 15 in 2007 mm-hmm. so you, you don't actually have to double skip your way to to a World Cup win. You know, a lot of people want to do the, you know, you've got to have the great this, kind this total of, rugby yeah, thing going. You don't flash, need it. Right here, right now, the box have what it takes. And and I think that the least sort of mentioned thing is their conditioning. That team is an incredible conditioning. Yeah. I'll tell you... For the Springbok side ever. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you a side story about that. What's his name? Um, Elliot Walters, the, the conditioning coach. I've been trying to interview him for the last 15 months, literally. And each time Rassi turns me down, says no. So clearly that's his secret weapon. He does not want Alid anywhere near in our media. Nobody. Show me one person yet, who's been, who's been given. Every, every single video that you see coming out of training, and I've attended a couple of training sessions, mm. you have Alid at the forefront doing all the work. He's, he's talking to a team. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's very, very involved. And yeah, he might be the secret weapon. I, I agree definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. the players seem to, you know, be taking some time to adjust to oh, to the cracking of the whip, but it's good. It's look, good. they all look like bodybuilders. You saw that picture. Mm. I mean, they, except for Lewis. Yeah, oh, Lewis was like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I, keep my shirt on. <laughs> I, I saw Trevor hiding. It was one of the few times you're ever going to see Trevor hiding in a in a gathering. You know, you expect Trevor to be at the front. Just wait for the dance the off. They're doing that yeah, next exactly. week, and then yeah, yeah. You know, he'll be that guy. <laughs> He's always at the forefront. Speaking of Trevor, any news on whether he'll be ready for the New Zealand game? Yes, yeah, no, he'll be ready, definitely. He's, he's only back in the country for the birth of his son, and that was always uh, arranged beforehand. And, and Trevor, well, uh, congratulations on that. Yeah. We're all very, very happy. Oh, and little Nyagani. Must be one big kid. <laughs> <laughs> one big dancing kid, one big dancing kid. There's also so much, gentlemen, that has been said about the weather. Um, it is typhoon season um, in Japan at the moment and uh, all the rules associated with that as well. Just want to open the article. Uh, this is on stuff.co.nz. Um, speaking about just how this might unfold and and of course New Zealand is focusing on New Zealand's performances because uh, they may well and truly beat South Africa but if they, their matches are rained out and called draws then all of a sudden you're going from a, a, a sure five-pointer against a Namibia or a Canada to just two. 
Yeah, um, look, um, I just had a quick look to see when is typhoon season in, in Japan. It's May to October, which is practically the whole tournament, if you think about it, because the final is on November the 2nd. So, you know, final will theoretically be two days after the typhoon season's finished. So it's it's one of those things where you sit and you think, ah, you know what, don't be alarmist. But by the same token, you know, if you don't take it seriously and it does happen and you're in a situation, you know, like we had in the 95 semi-final where, you know, um, rain and the rules of the tournament are going to, you know, are going to decide who's going to win. It's the kind of thing you do need to actually take seriously because, you know, I mean, I've, geez, I've, 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 I read through the, the permutations, you know. Yeah, if, if your game gets postponed, you get a draw, you don't get a, you don't get a bonus point for it. Um, what's, 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 if, what's if the game gets abandoned. Yeah. In the first half, it's a draw. If it gets abandoned at halftime or or in the no, second they take, half, they then whoever the was leading, that's the final so score. So they take the score like they did with uh, with the Bulls and the and Western Province the last, last year in, in the yeah, Cup. Yeah. Okay, the, the, I think that was not rain. That was the Bulls saying they couldn't. Look, it was thirty-one-seven at <laughs> halftime. So. Um, Mots, you've got that article open in front of you. What I found interesting about it is the permutations if teams were to draw in, in the playoffs. And, of course, it's going to go, come down to the normal try scored and then points difference. But the very last one, if, if all of that was the same, says that they, the team of the highest world ranking will go through. And if that's the case, South Africa is not in a good place because every, but every other quarterfinal, well, every other semi-final contender, serious contender, mm. is, a, is ahead of us in the world rankings. Yeah. There's six, there's six criterion before that. So hopefully we can already make it before all of that, before we have to even flip a coin, if at all, <laughs> uh, and make South it through Africa. to the final. New Zealand ranked second now. I think, I think they've got... Yeah, they are. Yeah, but that changes so, every week. So, so yeah, so so they too could you know could could realistically oh. actually miss out on because they weren't because they weren't they top are of not it. first. And we all know which you know what is the best you know sort of historically the best team in the world or the number one ranked team. It's a bit like going to tennis and saying you know, granted maybe it's not quite the same argument when you consider Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer because you kind of expect them to interchange it. And there's no mm. in 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 rugby there seems to be sort of a wilder fluctuation where you don't stay up you know for for that long well after new zealand did for what about 10 years yeah yeah the, the rugby rankings is just thought it's a strange beast as well at, at the moment you find japan ahead of argentina and obviously argentina will beat japan it's a, yeah. it depends a lot on who you're playing mm. and it keeps on changing at the top because it's wales england and ireland that have been playing each other and, and everybody have a, a little go at france or, yeah. or italy Whereas over here, the only games we played were against New Zealand and Australia. So, um, yeah, I don't think that is a fair... But what else can you do? Yeah. It's probably better than flipping a coin. At least this has something to do with games that happened before. <laughs> There's still, as I, as I mentioned earlier, six criteria before the, the world rankings are brought into play. So... Um, by, by that standard, we'll likely be able to, to pick a winner. But that is in the knockout stages. If a match is cancelled, as you heard Johan say in the first half, uh, in the pool games, it will be um, abandoned or cancelled and considered a draw uh, then. But the knockout stages can be um, rescheduled. And upon rescheduling, if there's any issues during the match, then those criteria come into play. So uh, the weather gonna, is going to play quite a big role as well, unfortunately, um, in a World Cup that really shouldn't be you know this is well, this is neutral well, ground we want to see 
want rugby to win? For me, that's exactly the question, though. If, um, you know, it's not like typhoon season has, you know, has only just recently happened over the last couple of years. They would have known four years ago or six years ago awarding Japan the the World Cup that it happens. You have to ask a question about scheduling. Granted, I couldn't possibly expect the World Cup to be staged in in December and in, in November and December. But by the same token, you're kind of sitting and you're like, well, couldn't they have done something about the scheduling? Mm-hmm. It's a bit like the whole, is it Qatar World Cup in 2022, mm, yeah. the soccer World Cup. Although the one thing you could say for Japan is if anybody has a plan C, a plan D even, <laughs> if anything mm-hmm. has to happen, it will be them. It's uh, meticulously planned this entire World Cup. So I, I would have been worried if it was any other country, but I think Japan's got this one. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Hopefully none of the matches will have to be interrupted by the weather. But winning a World Cup is not a small feat. Former Springbok captain Jean de Villiers chats to Siv Ngesi in the halftime chat on what it really takes to lift the Webb Ellis Cup. You spoke about the World Cup. How excited are you about the World Cup? You are going to Japan. What do you think is going to happen in the World Cup? What do you think who's going to win? How the rugby is going to be? What's going to be the deciding deciding factor throughout this World Cup? Yeah, I'm very excited, um, and I think Rusty Rasmus has done a fantastic job along with his coaching team uh, with the squad in, in transforming the team into a very competitive one and one that'll go to this World Cup really backing their chances. Um, and rightly so, I think we've got a fantastic chance. It, it's not a one-horse race like maybe the previous two World Cups where, where New Zealand were out-and-out favourites. They'll probably still go in as favourites for this World Cup. But South Africa, England, Wales, Ireland, those are teams, Australia to a lesser degree, but those are teams that that will be good enough to win it, to beat any other team in World Rugby on any given day. Um, so it makes South Africa extremely dangerous, and I think we can we can just you know back these boys and... Um, and make them believe that they can bring the cup home because because it's very much possible. What wins World Cups if you score more points than your position? <laughs> True story. <laughs> Strong defence. Good kicking game. Someone's going to bleep me out. It, it is. Strong defence. Good kicking game. We've been in two finals, South Africa. Uh, we won two finals. We haven't scored a try yet. This team's got the ability to score tries in finals as well, but I think they know what they want to go execute. And and our style will be a little bit different to other teams. Uh, I think there will be there will be a little bit more of an expansive approach from from uh, uh, the average team. Um, but again, World Cup, strong defensive system, good kicking, ba- kicking game and being able to convert those opportunities that you create into, into try scoring, uh, while well, actually scoring those tries. That was interesting thoughts by John. If you guys don't mind, I just want to add a couple of things there. To take a World Cup, to win a World Cup takes preparation and I think Rossi did really, really well. And, and the Springboks against Japan playing without possession. And, and afterwards, he said as much they, on purpose, didn't. They kicked the ball away and they wanted to, to pressurise themselves, you know, do, you know, put their defence under pressure get, and, and practice getting turnovers and how to be effective of that. Uh, they must have gotten a real lot of uh, match day condition experience there. And I think in terms of preparation, probably the best thing that could have happened to them. And then other than that... The big coaches will always tell you you need about four or five world-class best in their position players to win a World Cup. And and currently, uh, well, last year's November tour, the 
the Springboks didn't really perform as well as they should. But I think we've got it. I can I can say four or five names here that I think it'll be it'll be tough to top them. Hi, my name is Sabela Sanatla, and you're listening to In the Change Room. Well, enough about the Rugby World Cup. Let's also uh, wrap up the Curry Cup final that happened this weekend. Beautiful, messy, or just what happens in a World Cup year. It's weird. I mean, last year, obviously, they used the same same format. And there was a lot of complaints last year about the format because you suddenly don't get home games or as many home games as you'd like to. And, and, and rugby is basically built on home ground advantage. Um, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if it's hosting a final or whatever. But... I don't know. I felt it was different this year. I counted 11 Springboks in the first Sharks team that they put out to play against Greek was in the very first game. If you've got 11 Springboks lurking in one of the big teams, and there were obviously a few others in, in the other teams as well, I, I, I don't think you can sort of, you know, look down on a, on, on a level of that rugby. Granted, sometimes the the defence um, seemed to, to not quite be the same mm. in terms of some of the highest scoring games. But I, I don't know, I, I felt different about the same competition and I was very critical of it last year, this year, simply because it felt a little bit as if the standards were, were up. You know, the, 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 the final was actually a very competitive affair. I know... I know it was, you know, literally a, a game of two halves or a game of one half. If you look at, you know, the fact that the Cheetahs needed one half to win it because they didn't score a point in the second half, but I, I thought it was, it was an entertaining game to be at. You know, the, you know, the players didn't hold back. It was an open. It was open. It was very fast and very high octane, and the physicality was, was, you know, was hectic. And so I think. In a strange way, it's, it's well, I guess I should say, beautiful. Yeah. And maybe a little messy. Yeah. Uh, and it justifies I, the change as well, I think. It justifies the change going from um, uh, a two-round robin um, to, to just one round because then every team has to hit the ground running and put their, their best foot forward from the word go. And I think it will lift the standard of Curry Cup moving forward. It will. It definitely will lift interest levels. What the game in South Africa needs is context. You need to have two big teams playing each other, you know, and then a bit of that provincial rivalry. It's beautiful. That gets it. And the one, the, the single round, make you have to win, can't afford, especially home where you can't afford to lose a home game. The Bulls will tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, what we also know, the difference between this year and last year is that last year the Cheetahs were playing Pro 14. This year they were playing their pro, mm-hmm. entire Pro 14 team there. And because they were strong, everybody had to catch up with them and had to lift their game there. So I think the standard was better this year. It was highly entertaining. It also helped that there wasn't a, a rugby championship uh, in the middle and yeah. took the mix off. If we, if we can repeat this kind of thing, the K-Cup still has a lot of legs in it. And it certainly did look amazing. Congratulations once again to the Cheetahs. Uh, great performance also uh, by the likes of Oxen Chair. Joseph Dweber was the, the man of the final. What did you make of his performance throughout Curry Cup this year? Yeah, I, I, I remember sort of remarking in my, in my match report on the day that Joseph Joseph basically carries like a you know like an enraged rhino. You know, he's like a, <laughs> he, he, he honestly, the moment he gets hold of the ball, he, you know, he gets he gets pretty angry. So he's obviously, I mean, a hooker in the and then Malcolm Marks, Bismarck, Duplessis sort of mold. You know, these, these big robust guys that carry. And I mean, if if he has a weakness, um, it probably would still be he's you know he's throwing into the line out. But it's thankfully it's one of those things you can fix. But in terms of um, of how he's developed, you know, I know a lot of people that were asking why not Joseph Dweba for that um, sort of fourth um, Bach hooker spot um, instead of um, um, Skaran Tubin. 
look, I I put it down to experience. I, my thing was, you know, if if Escara's played and been around sort of the box setup for for that long, would you really be comfortable if one of the hookers at the World Cup got injured and you had to send Joseph as opposed to Escara? And, and and my thoughts were, well, surely you'd send the more experienced guy at the World Cup. And so, I mean, I, I I think he's done wonderfully. And clearly, I'm not the only person that's noticed because the Sharks have. Yeah. And, you know, they've <laughs> taken him, Ox, and Henko Fenta, who I think was actually... Um, an unsung hero. If I'm not mistaken, he's um, Ruben Kriya's nephew. Can that be? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, yeah, that would be awesome. From, from what I understand, he's, um, he's Ruben Kriya's, um, he's the late Ruben Kriya's um, nephew. And over and above that, he's one of those guys, he's understated, but he's, he's incredibly incredibly sort of effective it's almost like a slow poison kind of guy the kind the guy you don't see coming a bit like mm. he's a bit like his uncle actually if you think about it you know yeah but then he should have gone to the bulls not to the shops. You know? <laughs> well, but but there is you know there is only one way from the cheetahs traditionally in yes. South rugby there's only one way from the cheetahs it's it to your right if you're looking north <laughs> <laughs> it is not to the bulls it is not to the lions and straight to the to the sharks and that's you done yeah. Uh, yeah, can, can we remark on the final again? In last episode, I said it was going to be high scoring and messy. Um, and well, it was high scoring, but it was entertaining. And, and I really loved the final. And I really love the fact that we can, despite losing at one stage of around 40 players in the box, we still have that standard left of players in, in the country. And and really enjoyed the small unions, Creek was in particular, mm. and lifting their game and, and showing that uh, if, when, if we keep this competition at this size, it's going to be great. And then uh, one last remark, uh, the, the promotion relegation game, uh, that was quite good as well. Uh, and the Puma staying up shows the difference between the, the first... The uh, premium and, first yeah. division. And, yeah. and that is interesting because going forward with the new contracting system, the most of them will become semi-pro and the others pro. So that, that's probably going to... That gap's only going to widen. Uh, so, well, yeah. they, well, they should have played the Jaguars. That might, mm. might that might have been interesting if they played that. But just a couple of points to come out of that, um, you know, to, to, to come out of, you know, this season, if I should put it that way. You know, promotion relegation became a real thing for some of the big teams. You know, you, if you look at the Bulls, the Bulls were flirting with that, um, with that game. Mm. Um, so you have to say it was a bit competitive in that sense. Um, the cheaters themselves, um, you know, you've got to, you've, you've, you've got to look at the fact that, you know, this time last year, they were facing playing that promotion relegation game and mm. actually had to do it. And they needed to get out of there. But um, even bigger for me is um, maybe a, a small question mark. There isn't one cheater on the um, on the Springbok on the Springbok team. Granted, it would have been the kind of season they had A in Pro 14 mm. and B in Curry Cup. So I think if you combine those, that didn't happen. But I think from, from this year onwards, there will be, there most definitely will be a few sort of cheaters that, you know, that do get roped yeah, into, into the Springbok fold. Don't, don't, don't look at the card, look at the silver lining here. That, that means they got a full strength theme in Curry Cup. They showed they're strong and won it. And they're taking a full strength theme into Pro 14 now, whereas a lot of the, the Pro 14 teams will have lost players to the World Cup. They're the only ones that will have kept all their international quality yeah. there. Yeah. So um, you make you make hay while it rains. In the first couple of rounds, at least until the end of the World Cup, yeah. just grab as many wins as they've got a, home, got a, a stretch of home games to start with, get as many points as you can. This might just be the season that we get a South African team in that final. Mm. Of course, a small omen for the, um, for the box. Um, Last time the Cheetahs played against Transvaal, well, Transvaal, because it was Transvaal at the time, I think. Last time the Cheetahs played against the Lions, 2007, 
um, and the Cheetahs won in Bloemfontein. The box won the World Cup. Bam. I'll go with that. I'll add it to my 12-year pot <laughs> and keep stirring because I really do want South Africa to win this year. I know I'm the optimistic fan you were talking about a little earlier. That is me through and through. Also, just a mention to the um, Western Province ladies' side. They won their third consecutive South African Rugby Women's Interprovincial A-section title with a 38-32 victory over Border. Uh, so congratulations to you ladies. And ladies are always at the fore in our conversations. We're also caught up with South African referee Amy Tron talking about women in sport and her role as a referee on the halftime chat that is with Sif Ngesi. But congratulations to Amy. Congratulations to the Western Province ladies as well. And it's a wrap for In the Change Room. Wait, 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 wait. Before okay. before we wrap it up, we've got some whoever's in studio today. And, and of course, Sim is known as an award-winning columnist. But what he's famous for is writing the most Beautiful stories for Supersport Rugby Challenge on <laughs> Supersport.com website, and he doesn't even get a byline. So we've got to get one story at least okay. from him. So, so can you can just just give us one, please? Um, look, I'm, I'm actually going to put out a, a Springbok story with um, with Bucky's Boiter. Um, this story I was told by Dick Muir. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's comfortable with me saying who it was now, because probably probably at the time it wouldn't have been that the kind of thing to say. But anyway, he was he was telling us about how the in the in the build up to the boxes game um, against the All Blacks in 2008 in Wellington. And I don't know, for those of you with slightly longer memories, that would have been the game where John Smith was upended and basically. Um, toys groin and then couldn't play for the rest of that um, f- for the rest of that um, rugby championship. And in any case, what happened was um, you know in the build-up, what happens is the coaches they talk to their enforcers. So the box are talking to Bucky's boy to saying, okay, first rug, you've got to make sure that you lay out that Brad Thorn. And obviously, the All Blacks <laughs> are doing exactly the same thing on their side. First rug, Brad Thorn beats Bucky's boy to the punch. Gets him with a really good one. And Bucky's just sitting down. He needs a bit of smelling salts just to get himself, you know, acclimatized to where he is. And while he's doing that, he spots the ref out of the corner of his eye. And I think it was Stuart Dickinson, the Australian. And he's actually talking to, you know, to Brad Thorne. And he, you know, he pushes everybody aside and he screams at the ref. He says, ref, ref. Whatever you do, please don't send that bugger off. <laughs> we still don't know what happened. You know, <laughs> but, well, we certainly um, know why. But yeah, old, um, yeah, Bucky's, I mean, I could tell a million stories about him. Um, maybe, you know, if I make it to a few more episodes, I'll, um, I'll part with a few we'll more. make a note of that. Yes, please do. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that one. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, you know, what a legend. What a legend Bucky's Bucky is. We, we miss sometimes that... You know, that lift, let's call it a lift. Let's not make it a bad thing. <laughs> no, you don't miss his bands. <laughs> Justice for Bucky's. Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Gentlemen, thank you. Always a pleasure having you guys in the change room. Sim, you got to come back very, very soon. Always it a pleasure being, being in your company and uh, just uh, getting through that mind of yours. Have an awesome, awesome day. You also have an awesome day. We'll catch up with you again next week. We'll be very, very close to the start of that big, big one in Japan. It is Rugby World Cup time. Thank you.